friends, welcome to another Sunday at Different Church. My name is Hannah and I am the pastor of Different Church. So glad that you are here to spend a little bit of time with us discussing faith. Um, one important announcement before we begin, I know many of you are anxious to start in-person services again and I am as well because I miss you, but um, we're still in talks about that. So just to kind of put it on your radar, the earliest we are thinking about reopening in-person services will be mid-June. Um, it could be later than that. It could even be the beginning of July. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Um, we will try <laughs> to make it as painless and as safe as possible, that transition back um, and to protect the most people that we can. So I will update you <laughs> as more developments occur. And of course, when we are able, I will be more than thrilled to see you in person. Don't forget to join the conversation in the Facebook comments down below or the Slack channel if you're a member of our Slack group. If you would like to be a member of our Slack group, just email hello at diffchurch.com. Now, today our passage actually comes from 1 Peter. That is a book in the New Testament. So we are going to read a little bit from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Let's read it and then we'll discuss. Verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment and must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to the sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you. For he will never fail you. So... It seems, based on the quick reading of this passage, that our theme, our topic for discussion today is one that everyone just loves to talk about, persecution. <laughs> everyone loves persecution, right? It's your favorite thing. So for the most part, everyone listening to me right now will have never suffered, like truly suffered because of our faith in Jesus, except for... I would say rare and isolated occasions, people in the United States are allowed to practice our Christian religion without oppression. We have that freedom written into the document upon which our country was founded. So we don't really understand what true persecution is on a personal level. I certainly don't. Like I would venture a guess <laughs> that probably none of you watching have ever been put in jail for believing in Jesus or your faith in Jesus. We haven't had our lives threatened because of our faith. Uh, like someone wasn't like, oh, what religion are you? And you're like, I'm a Christian. And they're like, well, I'm going to kill you. Like <laughs> that, I mean, it occurs occasionally, but I don't think that's happened to any of us. We haven't had family members be taken away from us. We haven't ha lost family members because of their faith. Um, we haven't had to attempt to try and leave our home country because it was too dangerous for us to practice our Christian faith in our hometown. So like on the whole, if we are in America, which I'm assuming that most of you are, if not all of you, um, we kind of have a rather charmed religious existence as Christians. We gather 
and we practice our faith freely. And this is a fact, even though there is occasional violence enacted on churches, although nearly always it seems that they are the faith gatherings of people of color or marginalized communities. I would say that um, there is very little, <laughs> very few instances of violence being enacted upon the white or white majority churches. So nearly every church in America, if you think about it, they meet Sunday after Sunday after Sunday with no danger to themselves or their congregations who just show up and you meet, right? There's Nobody's worried like that someone's going to come in. Um, since, I mean, of course, the virus has forced everyone to move everything online and we are all streaming, recording, putting our videos out there for free, essentially, on Facebook, on YouTube, on all of these streaming platforms, and no one is forcing us to take them down. No one is censoring what we are putting out. And of course, many churches, especially when you have in-person in services, they take security very seriously, as they should. And of course, we take security seriously as well <laughs> at different church. But um, even with all that planning and all that protection and all the thinking about it, the incidents of violence remain isolated and infrequent. And generally, they fall into the category of hate crimes and not general religious persecution of Christians as a whole. So we don't really face persecution for being Christian in America. Although <laughs> I have heard some people say things that do not count as persecution, right? So here's a couple of examples. Not being allowed to evangelize other people while at work. That's not religious persecution. That's common courtesy. I think that most people, unless they specifically say they're open to it, don't really want to talk about that while they're at work. Um, here's an example. Starbucks having a red cup at Christmas instead of a Merry Christmas cup. I've literally heard, there was like a whole thing a couple years ago, people being like, the church, the religious, they're being persecuted, this godless nation, it, calm down. <laughs> that does not count as religious persecution. And while we're on the subject of Christmas, the phrase Xmas also does not count as religious persecution. Uh, that phrase actually originated with Christians, like it was created by Christians because the short, they were shortening Christ, Christ to the Greek letter Chi, which is the first letter of the Christos, the Christ. And so <laughs> that phrase Xmas really still means Christmas. Like it originated from Christians. It wasn't created by the mass media to market things to you, although perhaps it has been used that way. For example, businesses not being allowed to discriminate against people for their race or gender or sexuality, not religious persecution. Uh, needing to move your services online for a couple of months because of the virus, not religious persecution, right? So we, because we think those things are religious persecution, it's very clear that we really don't under, have a deep understanding of what it could mean to actually lose your life for something that you believe in. So if we ourselves haven't had direct experiences with being persecuted, like how do we handle these verses? So I do think it's important to note that even though perhaps we have not faced true persecution for our faith in Jesus, there are people in our congregation, there are people in our faith community who have faced persecution in the forms of violence and discrimination because of their race, their ethnicity, their sexuality, their gender, their gender identity, and 
It is important to note that even though this violence is rare for Christian congregations, if you look at other religions such as Judaism and very specifically Islam, the rates of these violence, the rates of persecution against them, even in America, goes way up. So there are some people among us in our faith community who have firsthand experience with this. And so we, as a whole community, we always have to remember to kind of tread softly when we're thinking about these things. And whenever someone with that experience speaks or shares their experience, we listen and we give their words priority. So how do we navigate through these verses? As a people who, we, we don't really understand what persecution is like. So first we want to think about, well, who were these verses written to? Peter is writing to hopefully comfort some Christians who were already facing persecution because of their faith and their commitment to following Jesus. This is a common theme in the New Testament. The subject of persecution comes up over and over and over. In fact, one of my favorite books in the New Testament, Revelation, is the entire book is written to comfort and direct and instruct people who are already facing persecution and who are going to face even worse persecution in the coming days. As a side note, <laughs> if Revelation like terrifies you or you have crazy ideas about Revelation or you don't know what to think when you hear the word Revelation, we have a podcast <laughs> where we're going through Revelation chapter by chapter. And this is a shameless plug because we've gotten some great feedback on it so far. And I think if you have even had an inkling of a thought about Revelation that you should listen to it because it's pretty good. Plus Jarrett makes cool jokes. Now, Peter's writing to these people, their lives are in danger, their livelihoods are in danger, their jobs, their homes, all of this. And as a church like the modern church, we typically kind of assume like, oh, they're being persecuted for what they believed. That's what we assume. Why were they being persecuted? Because of what they believed. And it may be possibly that some people were detained because of their beliefs, but why were they being persecuted in the first place? It's not because of what they believed. It's because of how their beliefs affected what they actually did in their lives. If the early Christians were all talk or all belief <laughs> and no action, they would have just been dismissed as like a, a small groups of crazy people babbling nonsense. But they were actually doing something. And this is what was getting them into trouble. So they were preaching a message of liberation. So to quote Luke 4, they were proclaiming freedom for prisoners. They were proclaiming good news for the poor, sight to the blind, liberation for the oppressed. They were preaching it and then they were actually living it. So Christians who owned slaves, they were setting them free. Christians with resources, they were sharing their resources with other people. They were paying fines for prisoners who were in jail so they could be released. They were freeing, feeding people who were hungry. They were caring for people who society said had no status, like a widow, an orphan, a foreigner. And on top of all of that hospitality and generosity that they were practicing, they were eating together and coexisting across class and gender lines. So the hierarchies of power were being demolished and systems of oppression were being preached against and then actively dismantled in their congregations. So they were actually doing something. And then most dangerous of all, <laughs> beyond all of that helping people, was the message that people were learning when they joined this faith community of people who believed in Jesus, and that was that Jesus is Lord. It seems like an innocuous statement on first glance, 
Jesus is Lord. But to say this out loud and to actually live as though this were true. This is treason. This is blasphemy (laughs) of the highest order to the empire. To say that Jesus is Lord means that Caesar is not Lord. The empire of Rome like couldn't have cared less <laughs> about the little measly small groups of Christians that thought Jesus rose from the dead. Like who cares? They couldn't have cared less that these people thought that Jesus was the son of God or that a few rich people decided to squander all of their wealth by helping other people. They, they couldn't have cared less. <laughs> so what? Right? The threat was that these people believed that Jesus was Lord, not that Caesar was Lord, that Jesus was supreme, that Jesus demanded the ultimate allegiance and loyalty. And that above all else was the danger because the claim that Jesus is Lord is at its core a political statement. It's impossible to claim (laughs) that the Bible is not political. Like it's completely impossible. Jesus being Lord challenges every notion of power that the empire had built itself on. It challenges every false narrative that is set up to keep us compliant, keep us dependent, and keep us stuck in this never-ending us-versus-them loop. Jesus as Lord challenges every power structure, every system of domination that the empire has used to keep us from fighting for the rights of the other, for true liberation, for true inclusion, for true equality. If I truly believe that Jesus is Lord and that Caesar is not, and the empire is not, then when my personal self is in danger, I'm not gonna comply. I'm not gonna be the obedient citizen. I may practice civil disobedience, which we have the privilege to practice in our society, um, but which in the time that this was written could get people arrested and killed. And so this is where we often get hung up because we are so often on the side of our own prosperity, our own gain, our own protection, that we actually forget where the gospel lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ is sometimes hard to find in our so-called Christian nation. It's sometimes even hard to find in our so-called Christian churches, our houses of worship, where we actually gather to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. So where is the gospel? If we're looking for it, where is it? If we're saying that God is on someone's side, whose side is God on? The gospel can be found a lot of places, but it will always be found with those who are oppressed, the poor, those are suffering, those who are persecuted, and those who have had their humanity and their human rights denied. God is always on the side of those who are broken and desperate and hurting and suppressed. The Bible makes this very clear (laughs) through hundreds and hundreds of pages. Where is God? He is with the poor. Where is the gospel? It is with the oppressed. The gospel message is one of liberation. And so whenever we begin to think that the entire point of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to save our own individual souls, 
That's the whole point and nothing else. Then we have actually missed the point of the gospel. We actually don't understand what it is that the gospel is trying to do because the gospel is not just about us and our personal relationship with God, which I think is what we've boiled it down to a lot, in, especially in Western Christianity. We're like, okay, God saves me, and then that's it. <laughs> God has to save everybody, but God saved me, and now I have this personal relationship with Jesus, and then we quit. That's where we stop. The gospel is not just about us in our personal relationship with God. It is about the world, the whole world, the redemption of humanity, as a whole. The gospel is about God putting the earth and everything in it finally back to right, where the evil that clouds our world, that clouds our own minds and hearts is eradicated finally once and for all. And the renewed heavens and the renewed earth that we occupy become a space of healing and refuge for all. So the process of redemption starts with us, but it simply cannot end with us. If, if our understanding of the gospel and our understanding of what salvation is stops at a personal level, the world does not get renewed. We will keep repeating the endless cycles of violence and prejudice and discrimination that we have been trapped in for centuries in centuries and centuries. The message of the gospel is that we are liberated so that we may then join with God in the work of liberation for all people. And it's that piece. <laughs> it's that piece that always trips us up because we want to stop at the part where we are liberated and then, you know, just happily continue our lives with like no personal danger to ourselves we don't want to chase down all of the people that the church has kicked out and build a faith community around them. Why? Because it's hard. <laughs> it's just so hard. And we won't say that. We don't usually say that out loud. We're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Oh, I'm really good where I'm at. God's really just doing a work in me. Like we have all these ways that we say it. But the reason we don't want to is because it's hard. Because it will require something of us. It will perhaps challenge things that we have believed our whole lives. Perhaps that path of liberation will make us responsible for how our actions affect the lives of other people. Perhaps it will cost us something. Perhaps it will cost us everything to pick up the cross of liberation and carry it forward. And I mean, isn't that the ever popular best-selling message of Jesus? Pick up your cross and follow me. But that's not a popular message, right? Essentially, what is that saying? Jesus is saying, come and die. Pick up the instrument of your own death and follow me because I went through death and came out the other side and so will you. So there's nothing to be afraid of. Pick up your cross and follow me. I mean, that's not a great selling point if you're trying to sign people up for a religion, now is it? Like I've never heard someone be like, would you like to come visit my church? Our main message is come and die. No, of course not. But the question becomes, are you willing? 
are we willing? Are we willing to follow Jesus even if it means our actual lives will be affected? And I'm reminded, I was reminded this week of a cartoon drawing that I saw recently, and it's like a whole group of sheep, just hundreds of sheep, and they're all looking one way and they're frowning, and there's just line drawing of sheep, and they're like making this face. And then Jesus is standing opposite them a little ways away, and Jesus is also a line drawing, and he's holding a sheep. He's holding a small sheep, and the sheep, the sheep in all of this crowd of sheep, they all look the same, they're all just regular sheep, no color to them. And over here, Jesus is holding a sheep, and the sheep is a rainbow sheep. And I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember <laughs> what the actual lines of the cartoon are. But essentially, this group of sheep is like, what gives, Jesus? We kicked, hit, we kicked her out. And Jesus is holding this one sheep. And Jesus says, I know. I know you kicked her out. And I found her. And I think that's so beautiful and so powerful because we get so caught up in the empire. We get caught up in these cycles and these power structures and this us versus them and this me versus you and it has to be this way or that way and there's never any space for us to say, okay, but we're actually just being caught up in religion and we're not following the true Lord. We're not actually living as though Jesus is Lord and this empire is not. We're not treating people like Jesus is Lord and the empire is not. And so my prayer for us is that we would never, ever become that group of sheep that's like, what gives? We kick them out. Because then we will have lost sight. We'll have been so caught up in religion that we've lost sight of the one person that we should have been following all along, and that is Jesus. And I don't say this all the time because I feel like it's pretty apparent <laughs> in what we do, in our language, in on our website, in when we have in-person services, in our decor. I feel like it's pretty apparent. But I just want to reiterate, and I feel like it's good sometimes to reiterate, what, what we are about, what different church it is. And at our, at our core as a faith community, this is what we affirm. We affirm that no matter your age, your race, your ethnicity, your sexual orientation, your gender identity, or your gender expression, your socioeconomic background, your ableness, or your belief, no, no matter all of that, wherever you fall, you are welcome here. And not just welcomed, but fully affirmed and celebrated the way that you are. And I don't think there's any confusion about that. <laughs> like, I don't think there's confusion about where we stand. But just in case there is, that's who we are. That's who we will continue to be. And as it says in our passage from 1 Peter, in verse 19, it says, Keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you. For God will never fail you. Keep on doing what is right. Entrust your lives to the God who created you. For God will never fail you. And so whatever is going on in your life this week, this month, just keep on doing what is right. Keep on being open, even if it costs you something. Keep on being affirming 
even if it costs you something. Keep on defying (laughs) the narratives that we have learned, that it's us versus them, that they're not as important, that they are whoever they are, (laughs) that they don't deserve it, that they're lazy, that they don't work hard, that they, that they, that they, all the things that turn us against each other. Keep on fighting against that and preaching the message of liberation and not letting salvation stop just with us so that we miss the point, but so that we move the message of liberation forward to the world. And now we will close as we always do with our benediction, our prayer and blessing for the next week. Let us pray. Let the righteous be joyful, for God is the defender of justice and upholder of truth. Whatever obstacles stand in the way of peace, they will crumble before love. And so let us press on together, shouldering difficulty together, pursuing wisdom together with patience and with urgency, and seeking justice through the Spirit of Christ alive in us. God, our comfort and our strength will sustain us as we walk the path of liberation together. Amen. Thank you for being here, and we'll see you next week at Different Church. Bye, friends.